Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's going on, traders? Welcome to the SPACs Attack. Yes, yes, we got a great interview coming up just in a little bit. We're going to go to CTAC. So definitely smash the like and welcome to the SPACs Attack. You, 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 you out there, guys. That's what I'm talking about. Welcome to the SPACs attack. This is why we do it, guys. We don't do it for Chris and I. If not, we'd just hang out back and trade some SPACs. But let's go ahead and bring on my man, the brains to the show. You guys know him, Chris Catchy. Hey, what's going on, Mitch? Uh, hoping that you had a great weekend and happy to be back on this uh, Monday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we got some wins, right? How can we be mad, Chris? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> add the points. Add the points. I actually was uh, super interested in, uh, just to mention a little Euro action, that that tie, France. What happened there? Yeah, you know, that was crazy. Uh, you know, Hungary getting that early goal and then France uh, barely uh, squeaking out with a draw. And what does that mean, Mitch? That group F, man, wide open now. So wide. Germany, Germany looked quite impressive against Portugal, and now they can actually win the group, you know, depending on what happens in those last two games. So uh, and yeah, we, man. of course, have Netherlands playing today at noon. They're playing North Macedonia. Um, they've already won their group, and it looks like we'll be, you know, starting some reserves today to, uh, you know, keep some fresh legs for for the next round so super exciting times for for the euro but you know good morning everyone thanks for uh tuning in uh spax attack here back and yeah as mitch said we do have an exciting interview today we're going to talk 5g and internet of things you know which are two exciting growth sectors you know so exciting to get you know more information from a company you know that's powering the way in those segments so great monday show today Definitely, definitely. We'll be getting at it. Let's go ahead and just get into where everyone wants to hear the headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, so there's actually not a ton out there for headlines today on this Monday. Definitely not a merger Monday. You know, no new announced deals out there to talk about. So let's get into, you know, what the news is, though. So we have over the weekend... It was announced that Vivendi shareholders approved the plan of Pershing Square PSTH to acquire 10% of Universal Music Group. So this plan from Bill Ackman's SPAC looks like it, it will go through. That vote was scheduled for you know tomorrow. But now you have, remember, that unique share structure of PSTH. So shareholders of this SPAC are going to get, you know, a portion of Universal Music Group. They're also going to get a portion of a Spark and then also some, uh, you know, uh, other uh, venture with $1.5 billion left to spend. So this is a, a complicated structure. Universal Music Group will be spun off later this year on the uh, New York Stock Exchange Euronext. Um 
So we'll keep an eye on this one, but I actually thought this was going to face some pressure. There were a couple shareholders of uh, Vivendi who opposed the deal. And then we also had Dan Loeb building a stake via third point, but this deal goes through. So PSTH, the first part of that going through. And some uh, analyst notes out today, we have ChargePoint, CHPT. So Needham initiating with coverage, a buy rating and a price target of $39. So CHPT, which I do own shares of, a, a charging infrastructure play. Um, this thing has performed you know, quite well the, the past month, going from 23 to around 33. And now an analyst out you know, saying that there is more upside ahead. So keep an eye out on CHPT today. And then BFly, Butterfly, uh, Cohen and company initiating coverage with an outperform and a price target of $20. BFly is actually one of our biggest movers today, up 7%, 14.87. I mean, if you look back at this thing uh, a month ago, shares were trading right around $10. So we're up to almost 15 today, you know, shares of BFly now breaking out, um, you know, so definitely keep an eye on this one um, on that watch list there. And then we also have App Harvest, APPH. We had David Lee on the show not too long ago. The company announced groundbreaking for its fourth and fifth high-tech indoor farms. Those new farms located in Somerset and Moorhead, Kentucky, are going to, go, going to grow berries and leafy greens. So remember we, when we had David on the show, we talked about lettuce, we talked about strawberries, right? And here you have App Harvest out with the news. Um, so definitely something to follow. We are up about 2% today, APPH. And we have Canada set to vote on more sports betting legislation today. So keep an eye on all the usual sports betting companies that we talk about a lot. Uh, in the SPAC space, the RSI and GNOG, um, DraftKings has made some entries and some plays into Canada. So it looks like they'll have a, a decent position there, um, you know, depending on if Canada goes, you know, state by state. Um, but we'll keep an eye on that. And then uh, one of the movers this morning that's now pulling back, we have HCIC. So they are merging with Plus AI, which is a provider of self-driving truck technology, autonomous trucking. So they announced a deal with Amazon. So Amazon is buying warrants that will allow the company to own up to 20% of Plus AI in the future. So just a refresher here, Plus AI is working on a mass production ready level four autonomous driving truck. Um, they think that they can cut cost and increase margins. Um, they already have a partnership with FAW, the world's largest heavy truck manufacturer, more than 7,800 units pre-ordered, um, and they are guiding for revenue of $16 million this year, $250 million in fiscal 2022, with over 3,000 units being delivered this year and almost 4,000 delivered next year. And they think that they can get a 7% market share of the autonomous trucking market. Um, so HCIC, you know, it, it was up big in pre-market trading. Now we have that pullback. We're up about 2%, 10.15, getting closer to that $10 level. This one's on my watch list today. This, this Amazon news, right? Amazon's going to acquire up to 20% of the company. 
And, and I think Amazon, you know, that, that would lead to speculation that maybe Amazon makes some purchase orders here for uh, those plus AI trucks. And then we also have the, the rival, right? Uh, TSP, um, Two Simple Holdings, which went public via traditional IPO. Those shares have performed quite well since announcing, you know, that IPO has an $8 billion market cap, and, and it's been a favorite of um, Kathy Wood with ARC Funds. So to me, there's lots of, uh, you know, positive news for that space. And, and I think we see HCIC start to go on a little run after it completes its merger. So definitely on my watch for today. And then uh, I have to get into Ride once again, R-I-D-E. So if you missed Friday's show, um, of course, Mitch and I did some SPAC battles. And, and one of those uh, unfortunate pairings was uh, Nicola versus uh, Ride. And, and one of the points I had on Ride was their relationship with Camping World. And, and now we have some news out. And I have reached out to both Lordstown and Camping World to get some clarification here. But it looks like Camping World no longer working with Lordstown Motors. So CEO Marcus Limonis uh, took to Twitter and, and said that uh, they're launching an electric world with an amazing assortment from around the globe. Lordstown Motors will not be part of that. We are not working with them. So other tweets point out that Limonis helped promote Lordstown Motors and that relationship, but they had yet to sign an actual deal. So according to an SEC filing, the companies were still in discussions. Uh, if you remember, they actually held a joint press conference, though, to talk about that relationship. So interesting that they had that joint press conference when a, a deal had not actually been worked. So again, I am reaching out to get some clarification. And then we turn to the calendar, uh, another week of votes here. So tomorrow we have TBA and FTIV, and then later this week we have AACQ, FTOC, FRX, and FIII. Uh, you know, so another exciting week for SPACs, and I think we're going to see some more deal announcements, you know, starting with tomorrow as we did not get them for uh, Merger Monday today. So that's what I've got, Mitch. Uh, anything out there uh, catching your eye today? Not just kind of wondering where we're going to head to, you know, right now, it seems like it's an indecision type of day. Um, you know, you having the, the markets head down hard into the close on Friday. Then you're having, of course, a bounce back today. Uh, you know, I, I, I love I love how, uh, you know, everyone's just like tipping toe and like they're like, oh, it's coming down. It's the end of the world. Oh, no, it's coming back. It's a bounce. I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I'm kind of in between today, but definitely feeling more on the bullish side. So with that being said, I'm going to be watching to see if some of these can kind of rebound. One that I do see up today that I'm interested to see if it can rebound above 50 again and hold, which would be, of course, DKNG. Um, you know, we've seen that one get that negative news and negative press. Now the question is, can it hold that $50 price point? I think that's very important. If it can get right back above that level, we're at 48.50 right now. We got a good volume uh, going into kind of when we pop back up. Uh, the question is, can we get this bounce up back above 50? I'll definitely be paying attention to that. A couple other other ones that are out there making moves today. Of course, you mentioned B Fly. Look at that 
look at that setup on V fly that that thing's looking great $15 underneath it going to be very important but we just broke through the 15 and now it's looking like it wants to continue its move on up all right Chris do you want to take a look at the watch list first or do you want to just head straight into our interview we can go into that interview, and uh, we should have time at the end here to, to hit on that watch list. So I know there's lots of people here ready for that interview. So if he is here, let, let's go ahead and uh, dive in here. All right. Before we get into that, of course, guys, this is going to be – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put up uh, kind of an investor presentation here and also put it up in the chat. So if you guys want to stick around with us and kind of go through this stock, you guys can also go through it. Um, that just want to make sure that you guys are able to go ahead and stick with kind of where we're, where we're heading to. All right, let's go ahead and let's do when we unlock some SPACs, Chris. Let's go ahead and unlock them. All right, guys, another exclusive interview on SPACs Attack today. So joining us on the show today, we have Romol Bale. He is the president and CEO of Core Wireless company going public with Cerberus Telecom acquisition. That ticker is CTAC. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining us on SPACs Attack today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mitch. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. I've been watching this uh, kind of transaction for a while as I've been a big CTAC fan for a while. And then, of course, when they mentioned Core, I was definitely interested in having you on. So, Welcome to the show, and I'll, I'll let Chris do some questions, and I'll be back with some of my own. Fantastic. All right, perfect. So, you know, SPACs attack. We're talking all things SPACs and former SPACs. So one of the first questions we'd like to ask is, you know, why a SPAC deal to go public, and was a traditional IPO also uh, a consideration for Core Wireless? Yeah, look, great question to kick us off. And, um, you know, I've been with the company a little over three and a half years. My... Uh, First CEO gig was a was a public company uh, that I ran that actually brought us to Atlanta, uh, and then the second company was a private equity company up in Detroit, headquartered in Detroit, and uh, so I commuted up there and we sold that to a strategic in mid seventeen. So I've been with Core now since late seventeen, so call it three and a half years and, and a bit. Um, and the first time we ever talked about going public as a perfect strategic alternative for Core to consider and our private equity company Abri to consider. Uh, was the May 2018 board meeting, something like that. So again, three years ago. And and you might say, okay, so so what were the considerations? Why why was you know why was the board thinking this might be the way out? <clears throat> a couple of things. A, we the team were asking for a significant investment. In fact, we've spent over 50 million bucks these last three years, really positioning Core to be at the epicenter of this exciting decade of IoT that just kicked off. Right, the 2021 to 2030 decade of IoT from 12 billion devices to 75 billion connected IoT devices, and we're right in the middle of it. So we wanted to go spend that money. Now, typical private equity runs, you know, they sell after four, five, six years. And and so, you know, I'm sure Abri was sitting back thinking, well, how are we going to get the return on this investment if we make all the investment and somebody else gets to reap it? And so this way they get to stay. They are not selling a dollar worth of a share in this transaction. None of us are as shareholders. We're all rolling uh, our stock, every dollar is going to de-SPAC or to de-lever, I should say, to de-lever um, uh, our, our business, which of course opens up M&A, gives us financial flexibility, all that good stuff. We've got great recurring revenue, very predictable, high revenue visibility, 91% recurring revenue last year, by the way. So 
we, we had a lot of good characteristics of being a public company and we were thinking about it for a while. Now, Cerberus calls in September, October, have a great relationship with Abri. Um, we had spoken with a couple, three other SPACs that had some interest before that, but never really got interested. When Cerberus called with the quality of advisors they have, and Tim Donahue as the CEO, you know, he's a legend in the telco space and, and many others, we thought, wow, this could they could actually be significantly helpful to us. So you add up the visibility of going public, right? We're a great public company, public company experience on the leadership team, all these sorts of reasons. Suddenly, in fact, if you click to the next page there, uh, you know, that's what CTAC would say are the five reasons, the five things they were looking for, and Core kind of checked all those boxes. So I'll stop talking for a minute there, uh, Chris, and let you ask your next one. Perfect. So let's dive in a little bit to uh, partnerships. So uh, what companies, you know, are you allowed to discuss that that Core <laughs> works with? And, you know, what is the value proposition for the these large partners that uh, Core works with? Yeah. So let me do a couple of things, okay? Uh, and and since you're kind enough to bring this up, why don't we click on to page twelve on that on that document just just to lay some groundwork for why the partnerships and the ecosystem look the way they are. Um, actually, one one more. Sorry, uh, I thought I had this completely memorized, but I obviously don't. And one more. Um, so so the so on this page on the right hand side, the first thing I'll just say is. Um, IoT is literally everything, guys. If there's a device connected off the internet, it's in our scope, so to speak. It doesn't have to be some esoteric, highly complex thing. It can be these simple things, right? From smart city lighting and smart metering and, 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 and the explosion of billions of devices that'll create the connected planet that we're headed at uh, over the next 10 years. It can be offender tracking, it can be VIP tracking, um, fleet management, Remote patient monitoring has gone absolutely nuts the last couple of years. In fact, connected health, as we call it, became our largest industry last year. So you're talking about these use cases. And if you do me the favor, Chris, of just clicking one more page, um, what we like to talk about are why has the Internet of Things perhaps not quite lived up to the hype over the last decade, right? About 10, 12 years ago, when IoT was, you know, the hype was starting, people were saying there'll be 20 to 25 billion devices connected by 2020, IoT devices. This is over and above phones and laptops and iPads and the like, the personal consumer devices, okay? Well, we didn't quite get to 20 or 25 billion devices in 2020. We got to 12. It didn't even look like we were getting to 12. The first half of the decade was really quite disastrous. We sort of stumbled around as an industry. We did not make IoT easy for our customers to adopt. Somebody's building a network, somebody's building a device, somebody's building an antenna, right? And all of those seven issues in that beehive there on the left side of that page uh, came home to roost. And in fact, as a, a strategic consulting company, you know, the fragmented ecosystem in the middle of that beehive, um, they made us a, a report that I read right when I was joining Core that said to launch one end-to-end -end IoT solution, it takes your average company 18 partners, it's unmanageable. That means you probably got to start talking to 180 companies and whittle your way down and run some RFPs for 18 areas and, and pick 18 partners. I mean, it's it's nuts. And then you go around that again, security, compliance, regulatory issues, compatibility and protocols different in every country of the world. And suddenly, right, you realize this is a very, very complicated IoT deployment. Core simplifies this. Core brings the ecosystem to bear 
to power for our customers. And so our partners are everybody from the satellite um, providers and, and the MNOs, the, the, the telco connectors or, or um, carriers, the um, unlicensed cellular guys, right? The, the LoRa and, and other uh, unlicensed cellular types. We bring all of that to bear along with short range, Bluetooth and Zigbee and so forth and make it work. That's the value proposition. Those seven steps that every IoT deployment has to go through on the right-hand side is Core's IoT in a Box simplifier. And we work with a myriad of partners around that. So now if you click about three or four more pages, Chris, there, there's a great chart that answers your question, hopefully with that background being helpful. Keep, keep going. Um, uh, yeah, there's three ovals when you get to that page. Keep going. <clears throat> there you go. Um, so across, as we call it, connectivity solutions and analytics, that's the set of partners that we can bring to bear and others, by the way, right? And so um, instead of calling or, or figuring out 18 partners to work with, we like to say a customer should start with one, start with core. Awesome. So, you know, it looks like, you know, IoT still in the early innings. How does core you know, really get its message across and communicate that it can be, you know, the one-stop shop for, for all these partners going forward? Yeah, I mean, look, I tell you, it's um, it's the million-dollar question or the billion-dollar question <laughs> right there, you know. Um, we've been hard at work for three years since our investments were approved, spending the money, getting ready for this, uh, and we've been able to prove it, you know, with a few customers. In fact, the customer case study that's in that deck that, that you've kindly provided to your viewers, um, is fantastic, right? It's a uh, it's a cardiac rhythm monitoring use case, by the way. So, you know, if people have a pacemaker and you want to be able to remotely monitor how they're doing, which of course is is the way the world is now. Uh, and by the way, my father doesn't have a a full fledged pacemaker in his heart. He has a little heart monitor there, but right, something has to get the data off of that device in terms of the patterns on on, on how the heart is doing. And that's something in this particular customer case is. Um, is uh, is Bluetooth, it's actually BLE, right? So yeah, theoretical ranges can be more, but to be reliable, needs to be within 10 or 12 feet. And so typically that gateway in the house, that monitor sits sort of by the bedside, because at least for the hours that someone's asleep, they're getting the data off of that. And then that data, in my father's case, once a day is shipped back, obviously data privacy and HIPAA and in a private data cloud. And then from there to the um, caregivers and physician portals, who need to, to, to get that data. That's all us in that in that customer's instance, right? In fact, the, the hardware device and radio actually shows up in our uh, HIPAA, FDA, ISO certified logistics centers. We stage it, we kit it, we configure it, we make sure the right software's on there, we lock it down with MDM technology, mobile device management technology, we, we put a SIM in, we make sure it's gonna work in one of the 57 countries that we ship to on behalf of this customer. And then, oh, by the way, our connectivity as a service, our bread and butter, making it work no matter what the connectivity network is, wherever, whichever country it's implemented in, we get the data back and collect it for the customer. So. When people are starting to hear, and this is very helpful for us to go public because the visibility to core has suddenly gone up like 5X. Uh, we're getting to tell our story, right? Our, our, um, our pipe was very successful. We upsized it, it was 2X oversubscribed. Uh, the lead investor was Coke Industries. We're talking to every one of their portfolio companies now, literally, right? And so that that's how I think we start to now tell our story to your point because yeah, we're a very well-kept secret right now because we've been heads down to work for three years. 
Awesome. So, uh, you know, within those growing, uh, you know, industries, you have mentioned, you know, some M&A activity in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, we have this slide here that illustrates some of those uh, deals. So with going public now and getting, you know, that access to, to new capital, is the plan to continue with M&A activity? And will it be, you know, in new segments or, you know, within the, the vertical integration here of some of the existing platforms? No, fantastic question and, 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 and appropriate because that's, again, it's one of the top two or three reasons for going public for us is to accelerate shareholder value creation through strategic, responsible, creative M&A, right? Um, you know, we don't we don't need to do M and A to grow, right? Not not with the tailwinds we have of twelve billion going to seventy five billion devices. We just gotta, you know, be sensible, put our heads in the in, in in into the flow here, right? And by the way, because we're in this fantastic industry of IoT, our customer base on average is growing twenty percent or more. So if we just serve our customers well, right? They're gonna put twenty percent or more uh, devices out there next year, and we're gonna grow with them. So anyway, so. So back to the point of M&A. So why would we then do M&A? Well, M&A for us accelerates our strategic repositioning as a company. If you look at the two that we did that are on that page, um, you know, we doubled down into our connectivity as a service, which was the Aspider acquisition there at the bottom. Uh, and, it, and it, by the way, it gave us our own cellular core network, core with a C, just to be confusing with core with a K. <laughs> um, it accelerated our eSIM uh, proposition 18 to 24 months and we're very excited about eSIM because along with 5G and all the other exciting trends in our industry eSIM will power uh, volume and then Integron brought us managed services and solutions capabilities which were our new strategies to expand our capabilities and they brought us some connected health critical mass so classic examples of the kind of acquisitions we'd like to do the 10 on the right hand side are just a, a target funnel you know we're not committing to doing any of those per se but it's 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 a um, fragmented space. We feel like there's a lot of opportunity out there to do really good M and A. I would love to do one in every one of our five industries if I could. Right. So connected health and fleet are our largest industries, and we've already launched them with practices and leaders and so forth. But we got big bets now. We're placing into industrial IoT, into asset monitoring, and into communication service providers. Those are the five sectors that, by the way, have between eighty to ninety percent of the IoT dollars spent on. And there's a chart in here on that. We don't have to go to it. Just my point is we will try to do acquisitions into those industries uh, and, and bring great talent. And right. I want little CEOs of every one of these, you know, like core health and core fleet have their have their CEOs. Uh, that's how we're going to far exceed the numbers in the back of this. I mean, our our base case is four hundred and fourteen million dollars. Chris, our upside case with M&A is closer to a billion dollars over the next five to six years. That's that's how aggressive sort of. We want to be with M&A, again, making sure it's accretive and responsible at all times. Perfect. Well, hopefully everyone listening, you know, heard that that new dollar figure, if that M&A, you know, is accomplished for the company. So I want to turn, you know, on that note to revenue. So one of the things you mentioned was the, the recurring revenue. So 92% recurring revenue in 2020 and also seeing, you know, high growth in total contract value wins from some of those top customers. So how is Core able to keep such a high recurring revenue figure and also grow the revenue from some of its top customers going forward? Yeah, a couple of things, and uh, thank you for looking at some of the some of the KPIs and metrics we've put out there. Look, um, the the first thing I'll just say is that 
you know, the cost of changing out a SIM card once it's deployed into a device is staggeringly high compared to the average revenue or average connectivity price of that unit, right? Depending on whether it's a one meg, two meg, five meg, 10 meg plan, or indeed a very high, you know, gigabyte plus plan, you know, it's, it's, it's not that much money that you're going to save by, in theory, um, you know, getting a, a, a cheaper quote from a different carrier, right? So you're going to save some 10 cents or 20 cents um, uh, a month on, on the price because some carrier said, oh, I can give you a better price. The fact is that it will cost you between 100 and $200 of a truck roll, as we call it in this industry, to get a crew out there to get into this device, depending on how complex the device is, open it up, change the SIM card. Oh, if it's in the house, you've got to now make an appointment with somebody. I mean, it there is no business case. So when we deploy on behalf of our customers SIM cards into their devices and they go out there, we are relatively guaranteed the lifetime of the device revenue, right? It used to be seven to 10 years. That's the number we quote. By the way, that's going up. As we get better with battery power, as uh, as we get better at using battery power with low power type um, um, you know, uh, deployments on these built for IoT networks like LPWA, NB-IoT, CADM, these, these tech terms that, that people might have heard, um, these devices are now going to last over 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, right? And so that's where the power of our recurring revenue business model comes from. We're a usage-based, right? per subscriber, just like a Twilio type company, if you want to think of us that way, but Twilio for IoT really. Uh, and we, right, and we can see revenue for the next seven, 10 years, every device that goes out at, uh, is, 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 the, is the key secret sauce. Now, on the, on the TCV, the, the total contract value in sales, look, some of it's just the sales transformation that we've made uh, at the company over the last three years. I could talk for 10 minutes and just all the things we've done to clarify hunting versus farming, to invest in an inside sales group. We're now starting to really get serious about channels. Uh, we go to market with five indirect channels. And, you know, I want 6,000 people selling for us, not the 60, 70 that I'll be able to afford for, you know, the foreseeable future, right? And so um, I think you see the results of a, a, a professional sales transformation on the one side. But on the other hand, it's the question you just asked. As people hear the story, and they hear about core and what, what we can do for them. You know, the word's starting to get out there. We're getting more at-bats. And when we get at-bats, we, we win more than our share. Perfect. So, you know, speaking of, of revenue, we have the, the financial estimates in the investor presentation. And one of the things I noticed, you know, is we're projecting uh, some single-digit growth for 2021 and 2022 and then starting in 2023, it really ramps up with that double-digit growth expectations. What's the key item, you know, for fiscal 2023 that really is ramping up that growth going forward? Yeah. So I'm going to say a couple of different things, okay? The first thing I'm actually going to say is that um, we're, we're a conservative uh, bunch here. I mean, if my CFO was here, he would quote his oft-quoted um, – under promise and over deliver, right? That's that's the training we have, right? And so uh, the numbers in 21 and 22 are built to not miss, right? Built to not stumble coming out of the gate as we de back here, hopefully um, uh, first half of Q3. We've, we've All we've said is Q3. Hopefully it'll be the first half. So I guess the first thing I'll just say is, right, we we sort of, right, we, we put stuff out there that we know we're going to be, we're not going to be one of these fact stories that is stumbling around and missing numbers and all this sort of stuff. It's a real company, real leadership, et cetera. Okay, so that's one. The second is, 
why is it damp over, you know, growth, you know, sort of a dampening sort of 21, 22 before uh, a more interesting growth beyond? There's actually two big reasons. One's right here on this page. It's called the one-time churn. Uh, this was a, a series, a cohort of about 130 customers that over the period of 2014, 2015, 2016, uh, were lost. Uh, that was back when the company did a series of transformational acquisitions to create a global connectivity asset that we are now. For example, we have 44 deep integrations into MNOs, key MNOs, AT&T, Telefonica, Verizon, you know, um, Vodafone, Telstra down in Australia. If you can name the carrier, we've probably got a deep integration into their OSS BSS stack. Well, that doesn't just happen organically. That was a huge series of inorganic investments that gave us that. And with that came some customer loss, some customers that didn't have the profitability characteristics we wanted and we let go. That's a 60% gross margin business, by the way, connectivity. It's not, you know, some kind of uh, low margin type business. So so anyway, so, so we sort of have always hived off that or ring fence that cohort of customers and that revenue has been going down. Again, back to the strength of this business, seven to 10 years of revenue once the SIM goes out. It's crazy that those customers have been gone six, seven, eight years, and yet we're seeing revenue still uh, from them today, and, and it's, it's going off. But that creates a hole for us, right, that we have to fill before we can grow. Once that's done, as you see in the chart by 2022, growth should start to increase. The other issue that's been affecting us, uh, sort of a headwind, if you will, is that uh, the 2G, 3G sunsets in the United States have meant that We've been migrating our customers to what I like to call LTE land, long-term evolution, LTE, the first generation of which was 4G. And then, of course, everybody's hearing about 5G now. Believe it or not, 6G is already on a planning and design horizon. And so long-term evolution is, is, is actually great for us because it's packet-based, great technology, lower-cost technology. The problem is that for the near term, we're, we're turning off really expensive 2G, 3G ARPUs. We're turning on lower cost 4G ARPUs. That's affecting us, right? Once that's done, because in the US, most all 2G, 3G sunsets are done by the end of 22. Again, you know, customers are growing 20 plus percent and there's no reason we can't do the same. Awesome. I just want to hit on one of the items that you mentioned was the the timeline of the deal. So we originally heard, you know, the the third quarter and based on your comments, then do you believe that that's still on track uh, to be completed in the third quarter for the SPAC deal? You know, I do, Chris. Look, I mean, um, you know, we are getting ready to file our second uh, response, right? So to, to the SEC's second round of uh, review, I'm pleased to say that this this second round of the, you know comments and questions that they sent us. First of all, there were only like 11 uh, comments and questions, and most of them were relatively benign. So there's some hope that after this next submission, we we may go active right there. Yeah, maybe there's another round and a couple of things to clarify still. But we feel really optimistic that the rigor that we've put in place is being. Uh, met positively and constructively by, by the SEC. And so once you, you know, as you know, once you go active, you know, you can have a shareholder vote in a couple of weeks. So we're, yeah, we're certainly optimistic. It's the, it's the first half of that Q3 that we've sort of put out there. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. I want to talk a little bit about some benchmarking here. So I'm going to go ahead and go towards the slide here. Let's go ahead and pull it up here. All right, so now we're looking at operational benchmarking here. Of course, the top is just kind of more showing the, the peer 
in, in the peer median above that. But really what I think interests me the most, and Chris already went in it a little bit, but this 92% uh, reoccurring revenue, how are you guys able to accomplish that? And I'll compare you to a comparable company out there. We don't have to talk specifics about that company, but Insego is, is kind of a company I could compare with you guys. How are you guys able to accomplish 92%? And then we, we don't have to go into their specifics, but they're only at 16.8. Yeah, so Dan Mondor is a good friend of mine um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and has dinner with me every now and then since he actually lives here in the ATL. So I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll say good things about Insego. They're a great partner. Um, but if you look at the business, right? They're, they're you know, they're, they, 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 they manufacture hardware, right? We, we help. We would love to help deploy more of their 5G ready-to-go stuff as, as we become that premier onboard uh, ramp for our customers to adopt 5G and, and, and IoT, right? So that, that's sort of what I'll say about uh, Insego. You know, we look forward to great things together. In, in terms of our recurring revenue, it's down to the fact that we really don't have a lot of, well, by definition, a lot of one-time revenue. We, we're not, we're not, right? We don't produce hardware. We don't produce devices, right? We pick the best technologies and devices for our customer. We are customer-centric. We're here to make customer solutions work. And our revenue model, again, it's usage-based pricing. It's based on the SIM and the device and, and, and how much data you're using. And those devices last seven, 10 years and longer. And we get to right, have great revenue visibility and, and really, really very limited sort of downside risks. I mean, it's I've never had a company that has had this combination of recurring revenue, revenue visibility, and oh, by the way, a customer base, because they're an IoT growing at 20 plus percent, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun being CEO here. It's going to be a great decade ahead. <laughs> Definitely. The timing couldn't be better. Um, one of the things that I was recently reading about was a lot of people are thinking, you know, 5G is kind of starting off slow because, of course, they just look at their phone. Right. I mean, right. it is a little bit slower to the mobile phone. But let's talk a little bit more about how this really is going to connect the planet and, and how really 5G is really taking over in a lot of different industries versus what most people think is, I mean, yes, it is going to get to our phone and we'll get some faster downloads. But how right. does 5G really help? Right. Now, that's a fabulous question. And by the way, 5G is slower than let's say some would like us to believe. And so I sort of, I sort of agree with uh, the, 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 the skeptics a little bit, right? And, and I mean, if you look at 5G, right? I mean, depending on which carrier you're talking about and which country, eh, you got 30 cities, 35 cities, 40 cities that they, you know, they've targeted the largest metropolitan areas where most people live, of course, right? And so that's fine. That's great. It's, a, it's an evolving quickly consumer side play today. We would say it's got a couple of years to go before it's ready for IoT. In IoT, you, you got to connect hundreds of thousands of devices. This isn't some simple one phone or four-person phone plan that we're managing, right? And it's got to work everywhere that we deploy it, right? And so, um, again, back to the promise. When you come to Core, we make IoT work for you. I take what takes you 18 to 24 months to deploy down to 18 to 24 weeks. That's what we try to do with our one-stop shop mentality. Um, so we won't put you on 5G before you're ready for 5G, right? Now, having said that, why is 5G the game changer that you just said it is? Um, massive bandwidth, much lower latency, um, uh, enabler of edge compute, right? Because separating out software from the network so that you don't have to move every piece of data all the way back. You can actually do more. You can put more intelligence out on the edge or this new term that people are hearing or talking about now called the edge cloud, right? Which is sort of a cloud compute and, 
and, and storage um, deployed closer to the device itself. Uh, so look, it's, um, it, it it's, it's really is a game changer from an IOT perspective. From a consumer perspective, I, I fear you're right. I mean, the human eye can't tell the difference in the latency between 4G and 5G. And so at some level, I kind of go, okay, it's faster, I guess, but it, it hasn't materially changed my life. But in the IoT world, autonomous driving, augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality, those things now becoming real. Um, you know, um, uh, think about private network meets 5G, no jitter in the network, robotic surgeries, right? something's going in my eye, I want a private network around that surgical center. Right, those things that are possible with 5G is what will make this the the truly connected planet. And actually, the next page we talk about the five ways we will play in 5G, which is we're getting ready for this. So we're excited about it. We're just not gonna right. We're just not gonna get our customers there before it's ready for them, because that's what they rely on us to do. We are their trusted advisors, so we will take them there as as it's ready. Do you think we're adapting uh, 5G in a rapid? pace or do you think it's being a little bit more of a laggard pace maybe because of the pandemic but what do you think there i would love to know how you feel about the trend yeah i mean look the pandemic has certainly slowed down 5g deployments um you know in some countries more than in others there's there's no question about that but um as, as i like to tell our investors that have been looking at us whether through the pipe process or now as we start our little buy side activity to to really build some momentum going into the DSPAC and the shareholder vote here. Um, you know, it, the base case for us, it sort of doesn't matter whether 5G is slow or, or fast. You know, I mean, we're going to hit that base case because our customers need us to deploy with currently mature technologies. And so we are deploying in 4G. 4G will be around well into the 2030s, probably 2035 timeframe. Uh, so we are unhesitatingly saying that it doesn't matter if 5G is slowed a year or two, our five-year plan is not gonna be affected. Now, equally, the second half of this decade will be turbocharged even more than the growth we're gonna see over the next five years because 5G will, will come at some point, it will hit, right? Um, we know it's coming, so. Awesome, I wanna ask, we, we have a question here uh, from someone in the chat, born to be free. How have you handled the security issues with IoT devices? So I know that's probably, you know, a hot topic. 5G and IoT, you know, uh, what's the security procedures? Uh, how does Core handle that? Yeah, I love the handle, by the way, born to be free. Um, let me say um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> on the one hand, it's a beautiful thing. 75 billion connected IoT devices on the planet, right? I mean, like seven or eight devices per human being on the planet. It makes a guy in the IoT business just, you know, smile ear to ear, right? On the other hand, it's like 75 billion ways of getting into our networks, right? And so you start to go, oops, right? How are we thinking about this? One of those seven things on those seven big obstacles to IoT that, that I had on the chart is, of course, security, okay? So, so how do we address it? How do we advise our customers? So we start, first of all, by saying, design security in from the start. In fact, the first phase of the seven phase approach to deploying IoT, if you, if you work with core, is not just strategy as in, what am I trying to get done? What's my business case? What's my proof of concept gonna look like, et cetera, but designing security in from the beginning, right? And security has to be designed at every stack, every layer of the stack. So at the edge device itself, 
right? Frankly, the SIM card. I mean, let's face it, guys, the, the, the SIM card hasn't exactly died a gory death like some were predicting because of the high security that that piece of plastic gives us and why the network guys just, right, they don't want to let go of that plastic. Now, eventually, maybe the plastic will go away, but it is a highly secure piece. And until we can replace that with a secure element in a soft SIM or iSIM kind of world, that SIM card and eSIM is, is going to be the way to go. So it starts with the SIM security, then there's you know device security, there's network security, there's application security. Every layer has to A, work, and B, work together is the advice we give our customers. And then in our bread and butter business around connectivity, connectivity as a service, as we call it, um, we have launched some really interesting SaaS type products, uh, one of which is called Security Pro. It's won all sorts of awards and innovation sort of stuff out there if you, if you go look at it. Um, it gives us, it gives our customers unprecedented visibility into their SIMs and devices at the device level. That's one of the biggest problems in IoT, right, is you deploy tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of devices and you sort of like lose control of them. They're out there somewhere, who's using them, what's happening, what's going on. And so we, we, we have upped the network intelligence game significantly, uh, giving them visibility, giving them uh, patent recognition and AI and ML-based techniques, and, and by the way, thresholds to apply. So, you know, we're getting better and better at doing the security parts we do. Our partners in the ecosystem do the other parts, but we try to make sure that a customer has a highly, highly secure solution uh, when it's deployed. Awesome. Well, you know, another great question in the chat there, Born to be Free. Thanks for that. And I think that's going to wrap the the interview today. You know, so we want to thank uh, Romil Bale, the president and CEO of Core. Company is going public. That ticker is CTAC. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on SPACs Attack. We look forward to, you know, following the progress and seeing that deal hopefully completed in the third quarter here. Cheers. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. And this was fun. So yeah. So let me know when I can come back. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you back. All right, guys, as you guys can see, that was another great interview here on SPACs Tech. I'm sure we'll be having it back when we switch on over from CTAC. So we'll be definitely looking forward towards that moment. But let's go ahead. Let's take a look. Let's take a little review action here and we'll take a look at the stock, see where we're at. One thing that definitely stood out to me was that reoccurring revenue. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to see that because, you know, one of the questions that we get on SPACs all the time, where's the revenue? The revenue is reoccurring here. They got so. it. They have the <laughs> revenue. That's the thing. So, you know, we, we talk so much about SaaS plays, right? So, uh, subscription as a service, that are software as a service. They have CAAS, so connectivity as a service. And, you know, they, they've got that strong recurring revenue, Mitch, you know, and to me, 5G and Internet of Things are, you know, two sectors that I think grow tremendously. And here you have a company, you know, capturing gains in both. So this is one that's on my uh, watch list going forward. Definitely, definitely. You, you you pointed out the growth and how it really just starts kicking off going into 2022. So one of the things that I can also say about that is that I think that's also when you're going to start seeing kind of the 5G, right? The trend really start kicking off. Um, I think you'll start seeing talks of the pandemic kind of die down and the focus will go back to what we were focusing on right before the pandemic. Right before the pandemic, it was all about 5G. I don't know about you, if you remember, Chris, uh, before kind of, when 2020 kind of first started, that's all I heard about. 
when I when before the kind of the pandemic talk, it was all 5G, 5G. How's it going to come into play? Who's going to be using it? Well, I mean, you know, this is just the beginning. And I think we're getting towards uh, kind of going back into that focus of 5G and how that kind of really develops. Yeah, you know, definitely excited to see, you know, 5G really catch on and, and these large telecom companies, right? They, they have to go 5G, right? Because that's what the consumers want. And, and here you have a company like Core that can help these telecom companies, you know, really accomplish those goals. So, you know, I, I think 5G is just going to see, you know, rapid uh, adoption going forward. I think it has been slower than everyone projected, um, you know, like Mitch said, but, you know, I, I think we get there soon. And, you know, with all these connected devices, you know, 5G, it, it is the future. So um, hopefully everyone out there enjoyed that interview. Um, go ahead, smash that like, guys. We got a lot of people in here watching and, you know, that like tally has just not increased from the start of the show. So, Mitch, you want to let's go ahead. Let's dive away from the interview now and get into the watch list. You know, I, I'm seeing B fly up eleven and a half percent today. Now, of course, had that initiation today, you know, a, as I discussed in headlines. But that thing is ripping. A and if you pull back a month on this, Mitch, right, this thing was ten dollars. Right. This was one of those ones $10. where it, look at that downward, right? It completed its SPAC and it came all the way back down to $10. It actually dipped below $10 after the despacking. And, and, you know, this is one where I, I've been a believer long term in the technology, right? The portable ultrasound. And, and I said, you know, we could see some analysts really getting, you know, in, invested in this and excited about it, right? Because of that technology. And here you have that initiation today, that buy rating, and it looks like investors pouring back into this name. So nice to see that one moving. App Harvest also up 4%, you know, on that news uh, of the groundbreaking of, of their facilities, you know, uh, with the leafy greens and the berries. So, you know, and I think that indoor farming is, is not going away, right? We've seen more companies going public that way. What else is jumping out to you, uh, you know, for the, the movers up before we talk about some of the laggards here, Mitch? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we're, we're starting to see a, a little bit of a bounce back in skills after a pullback from the 24 rip out. It's not a bad little push back up, at least holding that kind of 19 area. ACAC, look at that. Look at that move after a big crack down. This one's really starting to come back. AC. AC. We'll see if this one can come make its way back. It did a huge crackdown from that $10. We'll see if this one can hold. SRAC starting to push up a little bit. Do we start getting another push into these kind of uh, space SPACs? That's what I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, a couple of them, of course, you can keep an eye out to watch. Uh, we could take a look at Helicity, see how that one kind of keeps moving. Uh, this one's pulling back a little bit today, but we'll keep an eye out on a couple of these. FTOC, not doing too bad. It's starting to bounce back. Let's see if this one can get back above 10 and start performing the pattern there. So definitely keep that one on radar. Today, GNOG bouncing off of kind of this 1250 area. That's kind of the area that I want to see it hold. If not, it could come back down towards that low of $11. Now, of course, this one we're going to watch to see with DKNG bouncing back today. Looking like a strong day. Really key, I think, for this one is watch the leader today. The leader uh, Penn was doing pretty well today, bouncing back strong from that 75. Uh, really key on that one is let's see it's hold 75 today, continue on its way up.
GSAH putting it on the radar, guys. We had that pop right into the announcement, right? And it popped up towards a high of 1080. Now coming back off of that $10 today. What are you thinking about this one, Chris? Yeah, you know, everyone sold this one when that rumor was out because it's a, uh, you know, a nuclear uh, power company play. But then we got the investor presentation, right? And it, and it came out that it's not just, you know, nuclear power plants, right? It's radiation. So hospitals, Ooh. right, that, that have radiation services for cancer, they need to monitor that. You know, how many hospitals are there in the U.S. that, that do radiation services they all need to partner with a company like Mirion that's going public with GSAH. And I mean, again, this is a company with real revenue, and I think people are starting to uh, see that. But Mitch, the thing I'm seeing on some of these uh, ones that are falling today is it's a lot of the ones that were, you know, retail trades last week. So ASTS is down 8% today. You know, Clover's down 6%. Go EV is down 5%. Arrival down again, you know, all these ones that were these these low flow short squeeze candidates, you know, they can't keep that momentum and they're, they're trading down today. So, you know, again, be careful chasing some of these names just on the momentum because there's no longer a $10 floor with these despact companies. So you have to be careful. Yeah, that's why, uh, you know, I, I'm just not feeling too much of the pattern. I expected to see a kind of a push in Forex. Uh, going into their kind of uh, vote date. What's what's the exact vote date for FRX? So Forest Road is this week, uh, the 24th, I believe. Let me pull up the calendar, yeah, the 24th. Sure yep. June right. 24th. So we'll see if this one can come back, but definitely testing the lows today, going down towards 987. I had this one and I ended up selling it for – I think like a nine cent profit guys, but no, no profit really there. I'll call that a break. Even I was up there past 11 and thinking maybe I should have took that 11, but we'll see if this one can come back. Uh, this is FRX. We'll see if it can kind of make the pattern kind of right back up. All right. Another one to keep an eye out. Of course, APXT kind of pushed on up, pulling back. Now we'll see if that one holds 11 on any pullbacks. Uh, any, any other one on your radar, Chris? No, you know, just this, the usuals, you know, I, I really think the sports betting news is going to be big today for DraftKings. You know, DraftKings has strong entry in Canada. They have daily fantasy there, which, you know, let's face it, that's how DraftKings and FanDuel were able to grow their market share with sports betting, you know, legalized in the U.S., right? They already mm -hmm. had daily fantasy and they have that in Canada so they're going to have a, a nice head start, right? Because they're going to have those users who already like to play daily fantasy, daily fantasy sports, and hopefully they can convert them to, you know, online sports betting customers. And I think that's a, a huge win for, for DraftKings. So I think, you know, if that Canada legislation comes out, you know, we're, we're going to see some positive movement from all the sports betting companies. But I really just think DraftKings stands out with its entry in uh, Canada. I, I also saw, Mitch, someone in the chat ask about IGAC. Um, I do still own calls of IGAC, the $10 strike. You know, this thing is at $9.75. And, you know, I just don't see it moving a lot until they announce a deal. But again, based on their, their team, I, I still think they go sports betting or, you know, casino space. And, you know, I, I think that's a 50-50 shot. 
you know, with SEAH not trading as positive, but a lot of these other sports betting plays, you know, really trading strongly post-merger. So I, I am still in those calls. Definitely keep your eyes on it. I think there's a, a bunch of these that you got to play and and maybe just not play for uh, the the massive move, play for some short ranges, look for those plays, short risk to return. That's what I'm going to be kind of looking on these. If you're playing kind of the, the long-term game, it's going to be a little bit hard right now. Uh, if you're getting moves up, you're getting pullbacks. Like let's look at MP, for instance. Um, this one got hit with kind of the turnaround. The story was perfect. It was pushing on up. But then the China news comes out about them kind of uh, releasing the, the kind of hoarding. And then you see that turnaround. This is how the story can change. And that's why you got to keep up with the stories. All right, Chris, any other one you want to talk about before we get on out of here about to hit 12 o'clock? No, I, I think that's it. You know, uh, again, guys, thanks for joining us on the show. Please smash that like before you go. And, and we do have um, Power Hour coming up. We have a full schedule uh, of interviews um, this week and next week. Tomorrow on the show, we have Wallbox joining us. So that ticker is KCAC. You know, this is another charging infrastructure play. Um, you know, so we're excited to uh, once again dive into uh, charging infrastructure. So, uh, Mitch, what do we got coming up on uh, on Power Hour today? All right, coming up next on Power Hour, you guys are going to hear from the CEO of OPTN. That's OptiNose. So definitely stay tuned for that. I might just be joining up, guys. So join up the Power Hour if you guys want to see Money Mitch on there. Might just make some calls. Might make some trades. I got money. There might you as go. Well put it to work, right? Don't don't go anywhere, guys. You heard it. Money Mitch on Power Hour. I mean, I I know I'll be staying tuned. So I'll have you know what, Mitch? I'll tell you. I'll have one eye on you on Power Hour and one eye on the TV watching the Netherlands. How's that sound? Oh, I can't blame you. I might be cross-eyed myself. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the game, looking at the stocks, and at the same time, Power Hour coming on next, guys. Hit that thumbnail and join up. We'll see Thanks, you guys, guys there. See you guys next time.